Good morning. Thank you, summer team. I don't think we uh, sacrificed anything this morning in worship, did we? As we get ready to uh, look into God's word this morning, let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time right now. I hope that every person sitting here this morning could say there's no other place we'd rather be. We get to hear your voice this morning from the pages of the scriptures. But Father, we know that merely hearing them will not transform us, but Father, we need a divine work to happen in our hearts so that we would be changed, that we would be transformed from the inside out. Father, I pray that your word would come with, would come with clarity, with power. Father, we ask that you would be our teacher this morning that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts, that he'd turn on the light switch, that we'd understand in Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter three. Titus chapter three, verses one through eight will be our passage this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible that is provided for you, uh, there in front of you, it's on page 844, page 844, Titus chapter three, verses one through eight. Let me give you a little bit of a background about Titus. The book of Titus is written by the Apostle Paul to one of his beloved sons in the Lord. He called Timothy and Titus his, his sons in the Lord. And he left Titus on the island of Crete. I've had the privilege of actually visiting Crete. It's a small uh, sliver of an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. In modern-day Europe, they use it kind of as a vacation spot, almost like their Hawaii for, for the... Uh, continent of Europe. And so uh, Paul left Titus there, and he said, Titus, I want you to do something. I want you to set up elders in each of the churches here on the island of Crete, and I want you to set up elders that will teach sound or healthy doctrine, healthy doctrine, something that is healthy for the soul. And the idea there is not just that it, that it changes your mind, but it actually is healthy so that it changes the way you live. And so he told Titus, I want you to preach healthy doctrine, and I want you to raise up elders that will do the same thing. But we get kind of an interesting uh, sight into what it was like ministering on the island of Crete to the churches and to the people of Crete. If you look at chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. I love this. It says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So in other words, it sounds like they probably had some Oakland Raider fans there in Crete as well, just like we do here. Whoa. Oh, I'm just playing. I love you, Raider fans, almost as much as my Niner friends. Uh, but I, I like that description. Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And I like it because it makes me realize that the day and age that we live in is not too different than the day and age that Paul wrote this word. He wrote it to the same kind of people that are sitting here in these pews. Indeed, the same kind of person that's standing here in this pulpit, apart from God's grace. Apart from him, we are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Doesn't matter what football team you root for. <laughs> we come to chapter 3, though, verses 1 through 8. And after Paul gives a description uh, for the church... To live according to sound doctrine, he tells the older men to be self-controlled, the older women to teach the younger women to live godly and to be self-controlled, 
He even tells the slaves, although he doesn't promote slavery, but he says, he's speaking to the day and age, he says, slaves, I want you to be submissive to those that are over you so that you may show forth the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, give us the description of God's extreme makeover of a fallen sinful soul. That's the title of the sermon this morning. Extreme Makeover Life Edition. Hopefully you remember the show. I, I think it's still playing on ABC. Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And if you remember the, the show, you, you know that, that uh, this team of people would come in and they'd find this family that was living in just a horrible home, uh, falling apart, mold everywhere. It's unhealthy. A lot of times it was uh, the home had a, a child or somebody that was in the home that was sick. They needed to have a healthy place to live. And so this team of people would come along and, and they'd say, you're the winner of the prize. We are going to make over your home. We're going to give you an extreme makeover. And so what they do is they send them away on vacation for a week, something like Disney World. And while those people are gone, these team of people come in and they would totally renovate the house. And at first, they would just renovate a couple of rooms, like maybe a kitchen or some bathrooms or a bedroom. But then it got to the point where they would just level the whole house and set up a brand new house. And it was an amazing sight to see. You'd see that they would do this in a week. And I was amazed every time. And every time the show, they'd, make, they'd put you on the edge of your seat because when Thursday and Friday rolled around, they're way behind and you're like, oh my goodness, are they going to make it? And then they finally do. And I love it. The people roll back up in a limousine back to their street address, right? And they remember, when they left, it was just a disaster. It was a mess. And they roll up to the street, they roll up to the address, and there's a big, huge bus. Do you remember the bus that was sitting in front of the house where it used to be? And they'd come up, and the people would come out, and the main character of the show, he'd say, move that bus. The bus would move out of the way and the people, their eyes would just be popping out of their faces because they would see the amazing renovation that had taken place. They had known exactly what their house used to look like. They were probably ashamed of it. They were probably depressed every time they rolled up to this old, dilapidated, falling apart house. And here they come and it's a completely new, renovated house. Amazing stuff. Exciting stuff. Well, that's the picture I want us to first get in our brains here this morning. But then we come to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Follow along as I read aloud. Verse 1 says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This passage is describing the extreme makeover that God performs when he saves a soul to make a life brand new. God performed an extreme makeover when he saved you. He didn't just forgive you as if that wasn't enough, but he cleaned you and he made you something brand new. Your new life is a reflection of the radical renovation of God's salvation. He makes you brand new. Well, there's three things we're going to be looking at this morning. First, we're going to be looking at the initial appraisal. So imagine an appraiser coming to your house, and this house is just a mess. It's destroyed. And we're going to see what is God's appraisal of us before this renovation takes place. And then secondly, we'll be looking at the renovation. What does God do to turn us around, to make us new, to clean us up? And then thirdly, we'll look at God's final appraisal. He appraises it before the renovation, he renovates, and then he appraises us afterward. So let's look at the first appraisal, verse 3. It says this in verse 3, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is describing not just the guilt of our sin, but it's describing our condition. What this is describing is the idea of total depravity. We are depraved. We're sin. Now, that doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. Not every single one of you in here is a murderer. Not every single one of you is a rapist or someone who molests children, some of the grossest sins that we can imagine. But the idea here is that we are totally permeated with sin, just as salt permeates every drop of the ocean. You can't find a drop of fresh water there, so sin permeates everything that we are and everything that we do. It says in verse 3 that we're foolish. We don't apply the mind to what is right. We're senseless. We may hear what's right, we may know what's right, but we don't apply our minds to it. We're foolish. We are senseless. It then goes on to say that we're disobedient. This idea of disobedient doesn't just mean that we're ignorant of the law and that we disobey it, but it actually says that we're obstinate. We're not persuaded by the truth. We choose to not believe it, and we choose to not obey it. Disobedient, foolish. It goes on to say that we're slaves. Did you know that apart from God's salvation, you are a slave? Now, oftentimes people think to themselves, well, I don't want to become a Christian because then I'll have the shackles put on me, and I have to obey all these rules and laws. But in reality, those who are still under sin are slaves. Well, what are we in bondage to? What are we shackled to? It says that we're slaves to our various passions, our lustful desires. You, apart from God's salvation, apart from his renovation, you cannot help doing what you want in the lusts of your heart. Even when you do something good, it's not coming from a place of wanting to glorify God. It's coming from a place of wanting to serve your own selfish desires, your various passions. It says we're also slaves to our pleasures. And the word there is the idea of a hedon, somebody that spends all of their life thinking about how 
Can I make myself happy? The purpose and goal in my life is to think about, number one, me only. We're enslaved to this. We're enslaved to our passions. We can't get away from them. This is the appraisal. This is the condition that we're in. It goes on to say that we live our lives, we pass our days in malice. We live our entire lives in malice. And that idea there of malice is that it's evil. It's a bad quality about us. We don't just do evil things, but it's the quality of our life. Every single day is passed in evil and malice. Goes on to say that we also live our life, we pass our days in envy. So it isn't just bad enough that we're leaving evilly in, a, in an evil sort of way, but when we see somebody else gain an advantage, it makes us angry. We have displeasure over the advantage or fortune of others. We're envying one another. I am miserable and misery loves company. I hate it when somebody else is blessed. I hate it when somebody else gets promoted. We live our lives in jealousy and hatred and evil and envy. We are destroying one another with the evil that is in our hearts. This is how we pass our days. The seconds tick by and we live a life of malice goes on to say that we're hated by others and we hate others. Really, it's just the idea that we live in constant hateful relationships. We see husbands hating wives. We see wives hating uh, husbands. We see children hating their parents. We see employees hating their bosses and bosses hating their employees. We see teachers hating their students, students hating their teachers. We see people hating each other in the streets because we're so evil, we're hated by others, and because of the envy in our hearts, we hate other people. This is the condition of every single person that is born. We are totally sinful. The appraisal is grim. The appraisal is dark. Well, in chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, it says, To the pure, all things are pure. This is Titus 1.15. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. Even if you profess to know God, even if you say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian by title, you know what? You deny Him by your works, by your hatred, by your malice and envy. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That is the bottom line of the appraisal, unfit for any good work. The condition is miserable. The idea is, is that God would come along and he put a big sign across the front yard that says condemned. Not only is it unlivable, but it's dangerous. Do not go onto this property. It's condemned. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18 says, Paul summarizing our condition from the Old Testament, from Psalms and Isaiah, it says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the miserable plight, the miserable appraisal of those who have not experienced the saving power of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Do you hear that again? The passions were enslaved to them, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Colossians 1.21 goes on to say that we were alienated from God and hostile in our minds. These are the people that do not know God. These are the people that you once were apart from God's saving grace. The appraisal is condemned. You know, I don't know if you've seen over the last week or so uh, some of the really gruesome and horrible images of some of the shelling that's been going on uh, in the Middle East, in Gaza. Saw a picture of a home that was just crumbled all the way to the ground, and there were people trying to uh, sort through the, the rubble to try and find possessions or loved ones that might be buried under the rubble. It's useless anymore. They interviewed one man, he, a Palestinian man, and he said, he said, I've spent years building this home and now it's all gone. It's worthless. There's nothing left for me. When God comes by and he sees our plot of ground, that's what he sees. It's unfit for anything good. Put the fence around it put the tape across it, put the sign up. It is condemned. It is worthless regarding any good. Tear it down. It's an eyesore. It's dangerous. It's filthy. It's good for nothing. It is useless. This is God's appraisal of every single one of us apart from God's saving work. That's why it takes an extreme makeover. Let's look at verses 4 through 7 the amazing renovation of God. It says this in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, the breath of fresh air, the renovation of God when he knocks on the door of your heart and he says, I'm here to renovate your home. You are the prize winner, not because of any good that we've done. Let's look at this. I love how verse four begins. It says, but when God, but when some of the most beautiful words in all the scriptures after the scriptures describe our sin, but we wait for those words, but when, but God, but God stepped in when we were hopeless and condemned and he acted on our behalf, but God. It says that his goodness appeared and really that goodness is the kindness of the heart and it's not just a feeling in his heart that I want to be kind toward these people, toward these condemned people, but it's a kindness of a heart that moves to action. The way we know that he's kind in his heart is that we've seen the activity that he has done to renovate us, to make us something brand new. His goodness appeared. Yeah, God is good all the time. 
all the time. He is good. He acted for us out of the goodness of his heart. It goes on to say, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, and that word for loving kindness really is the word for philanthropy. When the philanthropy of God stepped through the door, you can imagine him showing up with a whole truckload of resources to say, you didn't deserve this, you didn't earn it, but I'm coming because I'm going to make something new here. The philanthropy of God We've seen that many uh, wealthy people today, they've come together, the billionaires, and they've said, we're going to give away a percentage of our fortune to help mankind out of philanthropy. We're going to help men. Think about the divine resources that God has, that he's poured out for us, the philanthropy of God, his loving kindness toward men in our time of need. Well, it goes on to say, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. It's beautiful language. It's the idea of shining forth. It's the idea that God's goodness and loving kindness, all of a sudden the light switch came on and we see his goodness. We see his loving kindness. His mercy shined down upon us when days were dark and the clouds were thick and you didn't have any hope. God's loving kindness and his goodness shined forth, broke through those clouds and shined upon you because he loves you. Now, what is the basis for him shining down upon you? Did he look down and say, well, you know what? Their property's not so bad. This one looks like it's a fixer-upper. See, God doesn't go looking for fixer-uppers. Again, remember, all the praise all upon all of us is that we're condemned. It says that he saved us not by works done in righteousness. Even the good things that we do do not merit his favor, but he looks down on us and he says he does it because of his mercy. Because of the mercy of God. This is his motivation to come down and say, I want to renovate this house. I'm knocking on the door. I want to make everything new. Not because there's anything good in you. Not because I see any potential in this house. But because I am merciful. What a merciful God. Our God is awesome. We sang it this morning. He is a great, merciful Savior. This was God's motivation. He looked at our plight. He looked at the destruction. He looked at us hating one another and destroying one another. And he said, I have pity over their condition. I will meet their need. I'm going to bring all the resources that they need in the moment of their distress. We didn't meet him halfway. No, it's because of his mercy. He didn't see something good in us. No, it's because of his mercy. God saved you because he is merciful, period. No works done in righteousness. God is a merciful God. Well, how did he do it? How did he do this? It goes on to say that he did it by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. This regeneration really means to be birthed again, to go through the birthing process all over again. He wipes the slate clean and he says, I'm going to create something brand new. Now it goes on, uh, well, in John chapter 3, it talks about this. Do you remember John 3? Jesus is speaking with one of the teachers of the law. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you must be born again. You must experience this regeneration. 
You can't come to God by picking yourself up by the bootstraps. You can't come to God through any effort of your own. You can't come to, to God through giving tithes and offerings, through going through baptism or anything else. You must be born again. Regeneration. New birth. Think of it as in brand spanking new. It goes on to say that we're, we're regenerated by washing. It's the idea of taking a bath. He scrubs away all of the filth. And if you've seen the show, Extreme Makeover, you know that one of the funnest parts to see is the demolition. They bring in the bulldozers. They tear it all down and they wipe it clean. They make it a brand new, clean, level property so that they can start building something new. That's what God does with us. He washes away the filth of your sin, all of the hatred, all of the malice, all of the envy. He washes it all away so that he can make something new. He regenerates us by the washing of the Holy Spirit. And it also says that he regenerates us by the renewal of the Spirit. He makes something new. He doesn't take materials from an old house. He doesn't salvage the old material. He says, no, I'm going to build something brand new, something that's never been used before. That's what God does with you. Maybe there are nights you, you sleep on your bed and you say, when is it ever going to end? When am I ever going to be different? When can I ever experience peace or comfort? God is saying, I can make you a brand new person by the regeneration and washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit negatively washes away uh, the filth of our sin. That's the negative side. He washes it away, and then positively, He makes something that is brand new. It is completely unlike the old person. Hallelujah. I don't want to be anything like I used to be. He makes you a new person. Well, how do we get the Holy Spirit's regeneration? Where did it come from? It goes on to say that God the Father poured out the Spirit. Really, it's like shedding of blood. He shed out the Holy Spirit on us richly and abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God's mercy, God's salvation has appeared to all of us in our darkest time. And that appearance of salvation happened when Jesus Christ showed up. Jesus is the mercy of God. Jesus is God's salvation. He is the source of the Holy Spirit's washing and regeneration for us. He is the manifestation of God's kind heart and his philanthropy. He's driving the truck with all of the resources to build something new in us. He is the light of salvation that has shone down on us, and through him we have received the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit that has radically changed us. Jesus is the salvation of God. He brings the Holy Spirit that makes you something brand new. One of my favorite songs, it's an old hymn by Charles Wesley. It go, it's, the title of, is it, of it is, And Can It Be? And there's a verse in it that goes this way. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This is God's salvation. We are laying enslaved to sin, and he comes forth with this shining light of salvation, and he says, you're a new person now. Come follow me. 
This is God's salvation. Well, the result of that is that we are justified. goes on to say, verse 7, we're justified or declared right before God by His grace, His unmerited favor. That's the beauty of salvation. You're not doing works to earn the salvation. You do works because the salvation was earned by Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have the hope of an inheritance of eternal life. He gives you the keys and says, now you get to experience this renovation for all of eternity. Now, that doesn't mean we get the full deposit right away. Our bodies are still wasting away. But in our souls, we have been made something new. And one day when we see him face to face, the inside is going to be transformed, the outside, excuse me, is going to be transformed to look like the inside. This body of sin is going to be done away with. But he gives you this washing of regeneration. Well, this washing, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 describes it this way. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you and me. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. He washed us and made us clean. He gives us new life. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, again, we read it earlier, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were by nature an object of God's wrath. But verse 4 says, but God, there it is again, but God. He showed up at just the right time. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You are dead in your trespasses and sins apart from the work of God, but God's love and his grace shows up and he breathes life into you and he makes you something brand new. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. This is the result of the washing and the renewal. When you read this now, I don't care what you've gone through this week, if you know Jesus Christ, I want you to think about this verse about yourself. 2 Corinthians 5, and the person sitting next to you too, and me too. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17 says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. How many new creatures do we have sitting in this church today? Hallelujah. He's made you brand new. He's renovated you. He's washed away the filth, and now we have a new, cre- new creation. It's almost as if God comes along, and he's done all the renovation, and now it's time to say, move that bus. Moves it out of the way, and what do you see? Something brand new, and your eyes are popping out and saying, that's me now, that's you, a new creature, a new creation. Hallelujah. What a good God. 
What a salvation. The great prince of preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, on this uh, doctrine of regeneration said this. He said, the change is radical. It gives us new natures, makes us love what we hated and hate what we loved. It sets us in a new road. It makes our habits different, our thoughts different, makes us different in private and different in public, so that being in Christ it is fulfilled. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is a radical renovation. It is an extreme makeover that God does for dead sinners. He cleaned the filth. He made us new. He's given us new life, and it makes all the difference in the world. I love the song that the choir sings by James Binion. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He made the difference. goes like this. If it wasn't for the Lord, where would I be? My life was nothing until he set me free. What a change he made in my life. No more compromising the wrong for the right. I don't walk like I used to walk. He made the difference. I don't talk like I used to talk. He made the difference. I don't live like I used to live. He made the difference. I don't give like I used to give. He made the difference. He made the difference in my life. God has renovated you so that you are something brand new. So here's the elephant in the room for some of you. We like to throw the term around here that we're a grace church. And I love hearing that. We're a grace church. That's what the church is. It's people saved by grace, isn't it? But I'm afraid that that term might sometimes be abused. Not that it's wrong in saying it, but it could be abused. The idea here is that I could abuse that to say, well, I belong to a grace church. I'm a grace person, right? And then you, you use that as an excuse to say, I can go out and live however I want to live, knowing that God is full of grace and he will forgive me and pardon me of my sin. The idea here is that salvation is only God's forgiving power. It is merely a way to get me off the hook for my sins. I get a free pass to do all the sinning that I want. I have a question for you. How is it possible to be forgiven of your sins? That is, to say you have received faith, uh, received by faith the grace of God to wipe away the penalty for your sin, to have the hope of heaven, to know that no matter what the future holds, you are safe in his keeping because you are the object of his love and yet never experienced the radical transformation of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? Here's the answer. It isn't. If you've not been regenerated, if you haven't, ex you haven't experienced the salvation of God, God's salvation doesn't just pardon you of the sin. He makes you new. You are still in your sins. The salvation that God is offering doesn't just forgive it transforms. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the elephant in the room for some of you. Some of you are here because you know that you made some sort of profession of faith. And certainly we know that it is by, by faith alone that we are saved. But this isn't a, a faith that is alone. It's a faith that is manifested in works. We know that this salvation doesn't just forgive you of your sins, it transforms you. 
It makes you new. It regenerates you. If, we, if, you, uh, if you say you're saved, what would we all see if God says, move that bus? <laughs> you say, I, I've been saved. Let's move the bus. What would God see? Well, would he see the old, same dilapidated house? Or would he see something new? Has there been a renovation? Has there been a transformation? A washing? A renewal? Or is it the same old, busted-up demolition site? If there has been no change, you are, uh, no change, you are still in your sins. You must be born again. But do not forget the words of verse 4, but God. But God, he is here today. He is saying, I don't care if you're still busted up. You could come to me today. Call upon the name of the Lord, and I will make you something brand new. God is still offering salvation. Today is the day. Well, we've seen the first appraisal, and that's bleak. We've seen God's marvelous renovation. We've seen that he wipes us up, he cleans us up, and he makes us something brand new. Well, what's now his appraisal? after the renovation. It goes on to say in verse 8, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's saying, I've made you something new and I'm not just going to make you something new and walk out. I'm going to make myself at home in this house and I'm going to start making good use of it. I'm going to make use of this house. You will perform good works because you are something brand new. You used to do bad works. You used to sin. You used to hate one another. But now, you are something new. Now get to work. It says in verse 8 that we are to be careful to devote ourselves to do good works. That idea there for careful is really to think about it, to meditate on it, to consider it, to give thought to the good works that you ought to be doing. Do you give, give thought to your good works or do they just happen by accident? You know, every now and then, you know, you'll you'll give a nice tip at the restaurant. Or, you know, hey, you'll see somebody uh, hungry on the side of the road, you'll, you know, you pull out a $5 bill for them. And that's all great. But do you actually give a plan to the good works that you are to be doing? You know, we got this series coming up, uh, Becoming What God Intended. A great way to prepare yourself to give thought to what does God want me to be? Do you take the time to consider it? How can I be careful now to do good works? And then it says that we ought to devote ourselves to good works. That idea there is to maintain, to rule over the works, to make it our business to be about good works. Now, I don't know what business you might be in if you're still in the workforce. I don't know if you're a real estate agent or if uh, you know, you're a, uh, you know, a bus driver or a plumber or whatever you might do. Be about the business of good works. That is our business. That is what we ought to be doing. Take your mind, think about it, and say, how can I devote myself to be about the business of doing good works? Well, it goes on to say in verse 8 that these good works are excellent and profitable for people. Excellent and profitable, valuable. Again, it's the idea of you drive by the new renovated house and you think, wow, that is a valuable house. That is a beautiful house. Are you worth something to the Lord? In the neighborhood that you live in, do they see you as, as an eyesore? Do they see you as someone who is profitable and valuable for the people that you're around? Do your coworkers see you as, as a new creation? Do they see there is something valuable about that person? I profit from being around them because they are valuable. Something 
has happened in their hearts and in their lives. Verses 1 through 2 also describe some of those good works. Jumping back up to the top of the passage, Titus 3, verses 1-2, some of those good works that we ought to be performing are in the public arena. It says that we ought to be submissive, which is a military term. It's the idea of obeying the commander. It's an attitude of the heart. It goes on to say that we should be obedient. Really, it's the outworking of that submissive heart. It says that we should be ready for every good work. And the idea there of ready is being prepared preparation. It's the idea of coming to a vessel, say a glass, okay, and you want to drink out of this glass, but if the glass is filthy, filthy, are you ready to drink out of it? No. But is the glass prepared? Is the vessel prepared to be used? Are you making yourself prepared? It also carries the idea of coming to a tree and coming to find fruit in the tree. Well, if the tree hasn't had the time to bear fruit, you can't just walk up to it and snap your fingers, unless you're the Lord, and say, hey, I want some fruit. No, that tree has to be prepared for the fruit to be plucked. Is there fruit hanging from the branches of your tree so that when God comes around and he says, I'm ready to use you, you say, I'm prepared, Lord, use me. I'm a vessel ready for your use. Here, pluck the fruit. I want to be useful to you. It goes on to say that we're to speak evil of no one, even our politicians, even those who rule over us, and there is no, if you, if you disagree with me, you come show me in this passage where it says that we can speak evil about them if we didn't vote for them. Nope, doesn't say that. Even if you didn't vote for them, do not speak evil of them. God has made you a new person. We don't hate one another. It says in the New Testament, we'd be praying for our rulers and for our authorities. Stop speaking evil about one another says that we ought to be avoiding quarreling. Really, don't be a brawler. Don't be a fighter. Don't be combative. But be gentle. Forbearing with people even when they are wrong and when they mistreat you. This is the renovation that God has done. He's made you something new so that now instead of being, instead of being hateful, you are gentle, you are forbearing. And then it says that we show perfect courtesy. This is verse 2. We show perfect courtesy toward all people. It's the idea of being meek and gentle for the benefit of others. That's the kind of courtesy that Jesus showed to us. He was meek. Even though he was the great king of the universe, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. This is the kind of courtesy, the meekness that we should show toward others to say, I am here for your benefit. This is the result of the great extreme makeover that God has done in those whom he has regenerated. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You probably can, most of you can recite this. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're a new creature. You're a new house. You've gone through a great renovation. Are you ready? Are you prepared to do good works? Are you giving it thought? Are you a vessel that is ready to be used in the hands of his creator? Are you bearing fruit that God is able to use? God has made you a new creature so that you would no longer be destructive or deemed condemned. 
you are now to be useful to the master of the house. Have you allowed the master of the house to come in and and start using you? I hope you have. Well, I have a couple of questions for you in closing. First of all, have you experienced the regenerating work of God, of God's salvation? Are you that same old property that has just got sign across it condemned? There's hope for you today. If we were to move that bus, would we see a new renovated home that God has prepared for his use? Or would we see the old condemned home? God is offering salvation to you today. He says, call out to me. Everyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame. Jesus could come. He is the salvation of God. He will show up for you today and he will say, I am going to make you something brand new. Today you could do it. The offer of salvation stands. Come, believe in Christ and be made something new. And then if you have been made new, and I pray that every single person in here has experienced the regenerating work of God, I want to ask you, are you committed to good works? This is how you'll know that you've experienced God's renovation, is if you do good works. Are you useful? Prepare yourself. Prepare your mind. Spend time thinking about how can I be devoted to good works. Be ready. Be a prepared vessel. Take every effort to prepare yourself to say, God, I'm ready. I'm available. Use me however you want to use me. Well, I know Pastor Phil has been giving us assignments, right, in this series on growing up, and he gave me permission to give you an assignment. So here it goes. Here's the assignment. I want you to go home and consider, possibly even write down a way you can do good works. Think about it. In this, these arenas, at home and in your neighborhood, how can you be about good works in your home and in your neighborhood, with your family, with your neighbors, How can you show off the great renovation of God's salvation to the people that are sleeping one door over from where you are or even in the room next to you or even in the same bed for your spouse? How can you be considering doing good works on the job, in your workplace or at school? What are the good works that you could be doing? And only you know those. I don't know what they are. You know what they are. God knows what they are. Consider it. How can I be about the business of doing good works in the workplace and at school? And finally, consider this. How could you be about good works here in this place? It says love first should start here in the assembly. We should be loving one another first and foremost and also spreading that love out toward others. There's an enlistment office out there to help you prepare yourself. How could I be about good works here in this place at Valley Bible Church We want to spread the renovation of God's salvation to everybody here in West Contra Costa County and beyond. We want everyone to know that we were all sinners just like they were. We were condemned, but God came and renovated us. He gave us an extreme makeover, and we want to extend the salvation to a lost and dying world. But you've got to be prepared. You've got to make yourself ready. Are you ready to be used by God because he has renovated you, because he's given you an extreme makeover? God doesn't waste his time on a renovation he doesn't plan to use. He won't just admire it and walk away. He wants to use you. You were saved by God's marvelous renovation. He gave you, he gave your life an extreme makeover.
It's time to allow him to make himself at home. Are you going to let him make himself at home in your heart? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that when we were sinful, when we were condemned, the light of your salvation shined down upon us. But God saved us, not because of our works, but because of your divine mercy. And you didn't just forgive us, but you washed away the filth of our sin and you made us something new. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who's never experienced the new birth, this regeneration that you offer, I pray that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and be made something new this morning. And Father, I ask for every one of us who has experienced this new birth, Father, please teach us to be prepared, to be ready to do good works. Prepare our minds. Let us be vessels ready for your use, Father, in your hand. Let us have fruit that is ready to be plucked for the good works that you want us to do. We submit to you now, Father, and we love you, and we thank you for your word and how it penetrates our hearts. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.